and a resounding good evening. Peace and grace to all. How are you? Peace and grace, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for staying tuned in to WHGE 95.3 FM. I am your hostess, your journalist, for the next 50 minutes, and I thank you for joining me for tonight's programming, East Side Pride. Once again, it is an oracle history of the reasons and the pride of the East Side of Wilmington. Joining me tonight in the studios, a very esteemed and historical guest. Some of you may recall his tenure. With me today in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, I do have the former mayor for the city of Wilmington, Mayor Jim Sills. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Rochelle. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be able to do an oracle history with you, uh, understanding that you have a very rich history in the entire state of Delaware. Um, and there's so much that I want to cover with you. But as uh, people have said, it's always best to start at the beginning. So let's start at the beginning, sir, and take this journey through history and time of your time here in the state of Delaware. Let's start with where you were born. Where were you born, sir? Rochelle, I was born in, and raised in the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, a city uh, about the size of Wilmington. There's a population of about 85,000 people. Uh, I came to Wilmington in 1959. Um, I had uh, completed two years of service in the Army. I had, was a graduate of Mohouse College in Atlanta and had graduate training at Atlanta University, which is also in Atlanta. When I finished Atlanta University in 1959, uh, I was offered a job at the family court of the state of Delaware that was and continues to be a state court. And I was offered a job here. I just got married, been married about a year and a half, two years. And uh, this is one of the first jobs offered to me here in the city of Wilmington. And so I came to Wilmington having just started a family. I had one child and uh, I wanted to be in a city that was comparable in size to Raleigh. I wanted to be in a city that had a reputation for uh, people uh, getting to know each other and having uh, uh, an ease at being at having uh, good community interactions with each other. So I came to Wilmington in 1959. 
I didn't know a soul when I got here. Um, uh, the Red Cap uh, told me to go to the YMCA up at uh, 10th and Walnut, and they would help me find a place for my family. I did that, and uh, I've been here ever since. Uh, so, so let's just uh, back up a little bit because that was a mouthful, and I have so many questions that go along with those statements. So, you're a native of Raleigh, North Carolina. Came here in 1959 with a wife and one child. And so, would it be too much to ask? What is your wife's name or her uh, association to Wilmington? Does she do something here in Wilmington as well? My wife is or was from Atlanta, Georgia, where I went to school, college and grad school. I met her in the library, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, we uh, came here after I finished college and grad school. Awesome, um, awesome. A romance from the library. <laughs> she, she passed away in 2006. Um, I'll stop there and see if there are other questions related to that. Yes, sir. I understand. Um, but it, but it, it was a good marriage, and so we give thanks for her as well. Behind every great man is a greater woman, I believe. Uh, and so... You get here to Wilmington, and now the Y tells you to go, that you can get a. You, you, someone tells you you can get a place to stay at the Y. What did you do from there, uh, and how did you get involved in like community, uh, you know, civic actions and, and and on that board? How did you begin that process? Well, um, I was able to get. Um an apartment in the home of a retired school teacher, uh, Mrs. Rosa Bridges at the time. She has since passed away. Uh, we lived in her home for about three years, close to three years. Um, and when I got here in Wilmington, I wanted to um, do volunteer work. I wanted to do something that would help me to get to know the city and develop friends. And I was offered a volunteer position at People's Settlement ah. uh, in uh, 1963. I came here in 59. I worked for, for four years, again, with the family court uh, as a... Um, probation uh, supervisor and while working at the family court I was doing volunteer work at people's settlement. Wow. Wow. Talk about hands on, boots on ground. That's awesome. I mean people's settlement is a is almost like a monument to this city because so many of our people go there, have gone there for resources and for help. And so what was life like then? 1963 is the year that I was born. So what was it like when you first started there at People's Settlement? 
with the people and the community and the energy? Could we leave our doors open? Were we friendly with each other or was it uh, contentious energy? What, what was it like in 1963? Well, I was the first black executive director of People's Settlement in 1963. Uh, and People's Settlement was uh, undergoing some difficult times. It had a history of not permitting blacks to be a part of its program. In fact, it integrated only a couple of years before I became uh, the executive director. So um, uh, it had been, black folks on the east side had been excluded from many of the programs, if not all of the programs, up until the time that I became a executive director. So I had the, the task of um, helping people on the east side of town to feel welcome and to feel comfortable participating in the program activities and uh, being a part of uh, uh, the offerings of People's Settlement. That was a difficult period because people were um, still suspicious of the agency and uh, were still smattering over the fact that uh, people on the east side had been excluded. So the first several years were, were difficult. Uh, but um, we lived at People's Settlement, one of the things that attracted me at the time was the fact that People's Settlement offered me an apartment for my family uh, in the building, and I was there for three years as a resident of the building. Hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a, a good beginning, yet a difficult beginning, coming to an agency uh, as the first African-American executive director and helping people on the east side of town to have some sense of ownership wow. of the city, I mean, of the people's settlement. That took some time, uh, but we, we, we got it done. Yes, you did, sir. I mean, you were just... You know, when I looked at your bio and your and your record of achievements and goals prior to doing this interview today, uh, just to refresh myself and make sure that I hadn't missed anything, you are a pioneer as the first of many things. You're the first African American to to be an executive director of People Settlement. You're the first African American mayor for the city of Wilmington. Uh, you you are the pioneer that started the Riverfront Project uh, to what it is today, where other people came behind you and kind of finished that. But you you are a pioneer. You are the one who breaks the glass ceilings and tears down the walls. Um, that is so worthy of respect and honor. And so in those times, as you're becoming, you are the executive director, and now you're opening the doors for more black people to come into people's settlement and feel 
welcome there. Uh, what else was going on at that time? Because I do know you had started or you were about to start your career in politics. So you had just started breaking ground with that as well. Is, is that correct? Am I accurate? Yes, that is correct. Uh, uh, as director of People Settlement in 1963, we were fortunate to get money from the federal government under the federal anti-poverty program. Huh. And uh, we were able to set up uh, some community organization programs on the east side of town and were able to um, get people involved in uh, rent strikes and uh, able to get people to um, uh, refuse to pay rent in those cases where apartments were not well maintained and uh, slumlord type yeah, of thing. We, yeah. uh, uh, we had, uh, at that time, uh, um, campouts out on the grounds of people's settlement, and um, we uh, waged a protest against slumlords, and um, we eventually able to get the city to uh, pass an ordinance which uh, permitted people to uh, give their money to the public works department, rent money, uh, to be held in escrow until apartments were brought up to standards. Yes. Uh, so from 1963 to uh, 1968, um, I was fairly well known in terms of social action and community organization programs. And in 1968, I was persuaded to run for city council at large. Uh, at that point, uh, no black person had ever won a citywide seat at large. <laughs> we had elected to people from districts uh, largely those in the black community. But no black had ever won a citywide seat. So in 1968, I ran as a city councilman at large, and fortunately, I won. I was able to be the first black to ever be elected to a citywide seat. So my experience, early experience as Executive Director of People Settlement enabled me to get fairly well known to the extent that people supported my candidacy for city councilman at large. And uh, how long did you do that? A city council at large. I was elected. I was man. I mean, I was um, city councilman at large, which means you represent the entire city rather than a particular district. I was uh, elected, I was city councilman for four years, from 68 to 72. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 72, I decided to run for city council president, which turned out to be a mistake. 
I lost in the primary election, uh, largely because black folks didn't have much of a history in coming out to vote in primary elections. And so I lost that election. Uh, I lost my candidacy to be re-elected. Uh, and uh, I later became president of the NAACP and, uh, for several years. And, and then I was president of the Christiana School Districts the board of directors for several years and in uh, 1972 or 82 uh, I was elected as uh, a representative elected representative to the Delaware General Assembly. I'll wow. stop there and see if there are gaps or uh, questions you might want to pose. Uh, yeah, there's like 50,000 questions I have. Uh, so again, I want to really delve into as a black man who's making strides during a time where black men were not really respected uh, just based on the color of their skin was enough reason to not show them the respect that they deserve. How was it for you how did people treat you as you moved forward and upward uh, in your, you know, activism? To me, it sounds like you were an active advocate for black people being so involved in your community and doing so many positive things. How were you treated as a black man in those times moving upward and forward? Well, I had some troubled uh, moments. Uh, I was bothered very much by the fact when I came here in 1959 that black folks were not permitted to uh, patronize restaurants. And I worked for Family Court, which was an integrated uh, an agency that had an integrated staff and uh, uh, I was there for four and a half years, and I recall uh, painfully so that uh, when we went out to lunch, we would go out for lunch two to three times a month, um, and we couldn't go to the restaurants here in Wilmington so we would get in our cars and drive up to a restaurant in Pennsylvania, up uh, the Corncord Pike. And we patronized a restaurant there in Pennsylvania because we weren't able to go to, to the restaurants, restaurants here. here in the city. That is absolutely like mind-blowing, pisses me off. <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that, that really gets under my skin. In 1959... Black men and women were not allowed to dine inside of the restaurants here. Yes. I, that was wow. a, a painful moment for me because I had always thought of Delaware as kind of being up north. <laughs> now, they were allowed to do that in Raleigh, where you had come from? No, Raleigh oh. it was a segregated city, uh, so I was used to um, not being able to attend uh, uh, go to restaurants in 
Raleigh, North Carolina, which was a southern city, still is. Yes. And I had thought I was coming to something different here yes. in, in Wilmington. Yes. So it took some adjustments for me to get used to the yeah. segregation that was still here. Um, it was up until uh, Dutch Burton, who was a city councilman at the time, representing the east side, sued the city and sued the restaurant industry um, and took his case all the way to the Supreme Court and won. Awesome. Dutch Burton, <laughs> yes. the city councilman at large, paved the way for public accommodations to be available to anybody who lives in this city, irrespective of uh, race and other factors. Would it be safe to say that you and Dutch Burton were probably good friends or at least comrades? <laughs> well, we were friends. Uh, I, I was not, I was, was not, um, I became city councilman at large in 68, uh, Dutch Burden sued the city uh, the latter part of 59 or early part of 60, I remember, don't remember the exact date, but it was the first part of, of the 1960s that he sued the city and took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. And won. And won. And, awesome. Uh, that's a bit of history that some people are not aware of, but it's part of our it's part of our rich history yes. here in Delaware. Yes. And so now going back to where we left off before I injected the question about how you were treated. Uh, so at this point you had lost the you know, in the primary because black people didn't come out and vote much in primaries. Uh, and then what happened? What what was the turn? Because you you became very popular uh, at some point. You became very very popular with the people. Tell us a little bit about how that change took place. Well, as I said, I lost the election. I wasn't reelected as city council at large because I wanted to move up and become the president of yes. city council and. Uh, didn't get enough votes because black folks didn't have a history of coming out in great numbers uh, in the primary election. Uh, so um, after that, I became president of the NAACP. Uh, I later became uh, a board member for the Newcastle County School District and later president of the Christiana School District. and. Uh, um, 1982, I was elected to the uh, General Assembly as a state representative from the east side, by the way. Yes. And uh, was in the General Assembly for 10 years from 1983 to 1993. Um, but let me go back to the period of people settlement. I feel fortunate that I have um, uh, good fortune of uh, gaining the trust of people in the city and having a number of leadership roles. Um, 
I feel very fortunate because I came here, nobody knew me, but uh, for whatever reasons, I attracted a following and uh, uh, I've been given uh, a number of leadership roles because of the trust factor, the fact that I was not only well known, but I became, I had a level of trust with citizens of Wilmington and I feel very good about that. Uh, having come here not having known anybody in 59 and hardly less than 10 years later, in 59 or 68, nine years later, I'm running for city council president. Yes. Not city council president, city council at large. Yes. Uh, uh, and then later, 20 years later, I'm running for mayor. So <laughs> all of that happened so quickly, and uh, uh, but it was a rich history, and I feel very fortunate to uh, to have gained a lot of friends uh, in the city and been able to um, gain recognition as one of the many leaders here in the city. Yes, and a leader indeed you are, sir. And I believe that that's really the only way that we can truly operate uh, with our folks is to gain their trust and to be worthy of it, to be trustworthy. And that indeed, sir, you did show us. And so... And so, please continue the story. Uh, tell us what happened next. I can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> well, um, tell us a little bit about the NAACP. What was uh, during your time? What was one of the biggest cases uh, uh, that you dealt with at that time with the NAACP uh, in terms of your advocacy or your activism? Well. Um, I became president of the NAACP in 1973 after having lost the election for city council president. Um, and uh, um, that was a, a tough time. Um, and um, Well, what, what's your specific question about that? I mean, well, I, I think what I'm trying to say is, was there a case at that time that was so big that you championed? Did you do that during your tenure at uh, NAACP? Well, one of the things that I was most proud of as president of the NAACP, the membership had dwindled to 40 people. We had 40 paid members of the NAACP. And I took the position that we had to solve that problem and get more people to join the NAACP. Yes. So I had the membership committee to um, go out into the neighborhoods in Wilmington and knock on doors to get people to join the NAACP. We went to all of the neighborhoods. We had a campaign to get people to join the NAACP and to become our ability to be effective as a civil rights organization was very much tied to whether we could demonstrate that we had a following and we had people 
who wanted to join. Yes. So from 1973 to 75, uh, we were able to increase the membership of the NAACP from the number 40 to 1,400. <laughs> when I left in 75, we had been able to increase the membership, paid memberships from number 40 up to 1,400. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and that was because we decided that we wanted to go directly to people and not wait for them to come to us. We went yes. to them. Yes. We've been able, we're able to... Get right out there and canvas and knock on those doors yeah. and let people know what you're all about. We were able to get money from the DuPont company to hire a secretary. We didn't have a secretary at that <laughs> point. We didn't even have an office. We were operating out of the YMCA. Um, so we were able, with more members, uh, we were able to open up a downtown office on... Uh, East uh, 9th Street, where people could walk in and make complaints and feel a sense of ownership of the city. And um, we hired a secretary and we had a, uh, an open office uh, practice where people could walk in and get to know us and file complaints. And yes, yes, yes. That was a busy and productive period of time for the NAACP in terms of having attracted more members and um, um, getting people to uh, uh, use the organization to promote civil rights activities here in the city of, of Wilmington. What, what was, at that time, uh, what was one of the biggest civil rights um, movements taking place during that time, do you recall, was there any one big thing or was it just a lot of little things, pr pretty much like today? In, um, uh, as a city councilman at large, to go back to that position. Yes, sir. Um, one of the uh, major issues at the time was um, um, a strike on the part of people who were picking up the garbage. Uh, people who were picking up the garbage decided that uh, the city wasn't paying them a fair and livable wage, and so they struck. Okay. And the NAACP supported them. And we had rallies, including a rally up in Rogers Square, and, uh, and we I spoke as head of the NAACP. We identified strongly with uh, the people who picked up garbage. And eventually we were able to get the city to uh, give them more money. Yes, and yes. raise their salaries. Yes. That was a major achievement uh, at the time. And, um, and then at that point, there was also the beginning of school desegregation. Um, um, I wanted to ask about that as well. So with school desegregation taking place and now you're in the school system. At the, <clears throat> let's, let's fast forward past the NAACP. So schools are now beginning to or have integrated 
Did you find that that was a problem between our little black girls and little black boys and 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 white children? Uh, was that a problem? Did, did we have a lot of problem with that? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> there were <laughs> there were eleven school districts in the entire county of Newcastle in. Up until 1977. Uh, prior to that period of time, there were court suits and the NAACP uh, taking the school district and the state board to court. Wow, that's big! Uh, and saying that uh, we were segregated. In fact, the General Assembly adopted a law. Um, in the early part of the early 70s, which said that anybody who lived in the city of Wilmington had to go to school, to school, to schools in Wilmington. They were forbidden to go to any school out in the county. <laughs> and um, the NAACP sued um, and got the courts to consolidate all of the 11 school districts into one school district. Really? So in 1977, uh, after having been uh, the head of the NAACP, uh, I was asked to serve on the board. There were five members of the board. So we went from 11 school districts to one school district and one school board. And I was one of five, the only black on that school board. And that school board represented all of the school districts, represented all of the students in Newcastle County. And that was a turbulent period. Black folks were being bussed far more than whites. And white folks were upset with going to school with black folks. and. <laughs> Uh, it was a highly tense area of time from 1997. Uh, then the General Assembly. 1977. 1977. 1977. When I became a member of the school board. Yes. And I was a member of the school board from 77 until 1983. The General Assembly and its wisdom on the part of pressure from the larger community this went to the General Assembly and said, we don't like this one school district. Let's, if we can't get back to four school districts, let's have smaller. Let's go from one school district to four school districts. And uh, I became then president of the board, school board of the Christina School District. Uh, so I went from being a member of the one Newcastle County School District to the president of the one of the Christina School District to one of four school districts. <laughs> A lot of moving and shaking going on. <laughs> yes. 
so, you know, you, you've just been a man of power and authority since your career began or since you began your journey. Did Were some of these things like in your heart, you knew this is what you were going to do, you were going after it, or was it kind of God just put it on you and all of a sudden you just found yourself in these situations becoming who you who you were in that particular Michelle, time. I came to Wilmington. I I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to write <laughs> articles, and so I majored in political science at Mohouse with the intent of becoming a, a writer, a journalist. Yes, yes. But then my mother was a social worker. She went to school up in Bryn Mawr, which is not far from Bryn Mawr College. And so she was a well-established social worker. And so I decided when I came out of Mohouse and after I served in the Army for a couple of years to be trained as a social worker. So I went to graduate school at Atlanta University and got a master's degree there and later got a Ph.D. also from Bryn Mawr. But I... Um, um, was a social worker in keeping with the work that my wife, my, my uh, mother had pursued. Um, and um, Was your mom your inspiration? She was inspiring you? She, my mother uh, was a trailblazer. She uh, uh, was ignored in terms of being able to be promoted into the executive director positions in Philadelphia because she was a woman and women were not noted as having supposedly <laughs> management skills. Yes. So she opened up her own consulting firm there in Philadelphia. Bravo, Mom. And uh, <laughs> uh, came to be well known there in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, while I was... Uh, I was director of people's settlement from 63 to 1970. And I was director of people's settlement while I was also city councilman at large. Um, and uh, in 1971, uh, I was recruited to join the faculty at the University of Delaware. Uh, I was recruited to be a faculty member at the School of Urban Affairs and Public Policy. Mm -hmm. I was the first black to be hired, and uh, I was there from 71 to um, 1996. I was a faculty member for 26 years Wow. Uh, at the School of Urban Affairs and Public Policy. And um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Yes, but it's okay. I, it's all right. This is your time to tell your story, yeah. sir. Well, I, I was president of the Christina School Board from 1981 until uh, 1983. And... Um, I then uh, ran for state representative representing the east side and 
the South Bridge and a portion of Northeast Wilmington. And I was state representative from 1983 to 1993, a period of 10 years. Um, I take pride in the fact that uh, I was uh, state representative for 10 years. I had five elections during that span of time and had no elect, no opposition in any of those five election periods. Uh, uh, and I take pride in the fact yeah. that uh, I was not challenged uh, for uh, during that period of time to be reelected. And uh, then in 1993, um, I was persuaded to run for mayor. And, uh, um, I'll stop there. I may be. Yes. <laughs> so. Too much of your time. You may have questions relative to gaps I may have left out. Well, actually, sir, I think you've done an excellent job thus far uh, of filling in the gaps. But uh, if I have left something out, then we will definitely follow this up with our second interview because your life is so rich and full of history. It is in the details that I don't want to miss anything. And I certainly want the audience to be able to follow along with us um, in, the, or in these details. So uh, I do want to say, let's now get into that portion. It, at some point, you ran for the mayor. There had never before you had there ever been a black mayor. To my knowledge, I don't remember reading anything uh, that we had a black mayor. So you are the first African-American mayor for the city of Wilmington in the state of Delaware. Am I stating that correctly, sir? And tell me how did that happen? Well, in 1992, I was then a member of the Delaware General Assembly. I was there for 10 years. And um, uh, friends of mine and supporters said, why don't you run for mayor? And I said, I don't want to be mayor. That's not something I'm aspiring to do. Uh, but um, polls were done, and the polls indicated that if I ran in 1992, that I would win. The polls indicated that I would barely eke out a victory over the present mayor at that time. And who was the mayor at that time? Uh, Dan Frawley. Ah, yes. He was had been mayor for eight years. He was strongly supported by the business and corporate community. Uh, he was strongly supported by the unions here in the city. Uh, I didn't have much money. <laughs> right. I borrowed money on my credit card to to uh, eke out a campaign. Uh, we raised some $32,000 for the campaign. Uh, the mayor at that point raised over $100,000 uh, to, uh, to... For his campaign. And um, we, we, we won. Uh, I wasn't expected to win, according to... <laughs> political pundits at that time. 
but it was in that election where black folks really came out in large numbers in the primary election. I won because uh, black folks came out in big numbers to support me yes. in the primary election in 1992. And I won, I got something like 52% of the vote, and Dan Frawley got like 80, 48% of the vote. So, <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I won because I worked hard. I knocked on, gee, I think half the doorknobs in half the doors in the city. I didn't have a lot of money, but I, I, I was, the polls indicated in terms of popularity that I would win if I ran. And this was popularity even with white people, white voters? 52%. How did, I'm trying to figure out, well now, Wilmington itself is a larger population of black people than it is white folks. But how did you, like, how did you do that? <laughs> well, the, the, popularity. My, support, my supporters hired a consulting firm out of Dover, and they interviewed a random sample of people from the black community and the white community. The polls indicated that if I ran against Dan Frawley, uh, that I would win. Uh, I would win by several percentage points. That's how it came out. Now I won. The polls indicated that um, I would win, and the polls indicated that I would get strong support from the black community, and that's how it happened. It does. The facts are that in that primary election, uh, we got over 50% of the registered voters to come out and support me mm -hmm. in that primary election, which was historic because when I ran for city council at large in 1972, uh, I got something like 16% of the registered black voters to come out and support me. Compared when I ran for mayor, in 1992, 52% of the registered black voters came out to support me. Mm -hmm. So I became mayor largely because of the support I got from the black community. So I think this is a good moment right here to put that plug in and say, your vote matters, Wilmington. Your vote matters. Do not ever let anyone make you think that the black vote in Wilmington or the black vote in the state of Delaware, that it doesn't matter. Your vote matters. So please, I know that we all have different viewpoints and opinions about whether we should even bother. No one cares, yada, yada, yada. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here now with history, a legacy, first time ever. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, your vote matters. Make sure that you are registered to vote. And when it's your opportunity, please go to the polls and vote for the candidate that you feel is best to run for that particular level of leadership. Please, please don't stay home when it's voting season. I'm sitting here now with former first, first African-American black mayor, for the city of Wilmington, and he won 52% over a white uh, incumbent at the time. 
And uh, that's because we came out and we rallied together and we voted. So that's, that's history, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sitting here with history. Put it on the record. I'm so honored to be in your presence and to be sitting here and allowed and able to do this interview with you, Mayor. Uh, I mean, even though you don't hold the title anymore of Mayor, for me, in my mind, you will always be Mayor Jim Sills. You will always be Mayor Jim Sills because you were the first. And so you, like many other things you've done, you have paved the way for so many other doors to open for other black people. And I just can't thank you enough for that. Even if they haven't said it, let me say it on behalf of all of them. Thank you for being the pioneer and the civil rights uh, activist and, and leader that you have been. Thank you so much. But I, I want to go on from here. Yes, please. You well, thank speak. you for those kind of words. Uh, but I, uh, I think uh, much of whatever accomplishments I might have experienced uh, um, came about because of strong support I've gotten from the black community and, uh, and strong support from somebody who is not from Wilmington <laughs> and but became well known and I gained the trust of people here in the city and I'm very proud of that fact that uh, I've been entrusted with a number of leadership roles uh, even though I wasn't from Wilmington at the time. Yes, yes. Now, I read uh, in, when I was going through the Google, uh, the bio, and then some other tidbits of trivia and facts about you, you also, I mean, you're just a pioneer everywhere you go. You're just the first, the first, the first to do this, the first to do that. You were the champion that... Um, with the riverfront, it is what it is today because, again, you pioneered the very first brick. You, you broke the first brick with your, uh, with your leadership. Tell me how that came along. And, I mean, it was swampland. And now people can, I mean, myself, I go, I ride my bike, I can walk the dog. It's so nice just to sit and, and have lunch. You did all of that. You started that. Everyone that did it, anything with it after you, they're always going to be the people that came behind you. But you were the champion of that. How did you start that? And why did you look at Wasteland and see a riverfront? <clears throat> well, um, I was in the Delaware General Assembly again from 1982 to 1992. And... Um, um, Wilmington is the largest city in the state of Delaware. Uh, we have rich riverfront area. Uh, uh, we, are, we have the largest population. Uh, we are the center of economic activity in the state of Delaware. And um, people in the Delaware General Assembly recognized early on and have recognized for many years that the growth of the state of Delaware very much depended upon the growth of the city of Wilmington. So we were able to, I was a member of the Delaware General Assembly, and I didn't do this obviously by myself. We had a lot of friends and supporters in the Delaware General Assembly that recognized the value of the city 
and the need for the city to be the focal point for economic activity for the state of Delaware. Uh, and um, we were able to get the state to put money into a Wilmington uh, Riverfront Commission, of which I was a member of the commission and a member of the executive committee. And we were able to get money to uh, develop restaurants and movies and other social activities and entertainment activities on the riverfront. The riverfront is what it is today, but it took a lot of people, the governor and the Newcastle County Executive, members of the Delaware General Assembly, to recognize that Wilmington, uh, in order to grow, for the state to grow, had to be given more support, more financial support. That continues to be the case even today, even though we don't get our fair share of money <laughs> from the Delaware General Assembly. We ought to be getting more. And um, But the Riverfront was a, a, a good beginning, uh, uh, and I played a, one of the, I was one of the members of the General Assembly. And while I was in the General Assembly uh, and became mayor in 1993, um, the growth and development of the riverfront continued. And that growth still continues even today. Yes, it does. And again, I just reiterate, if you didn't hear me say it the first time, I'm saying it again. You are a pioneer. You have constantly been the first to knock down doors and walls and break through glass ceilings for black people here in the city of Wilmington. And there's so much more that you've done. And I don't know that we're going to have enough time to go through all of it. So we will be doing a part two with Mayor Jim Sills, a former mayor of the city of Wilmington, the first African-American mayor. Uh, uh, for the city of Wilmington and the first at the People's Settlement and the first for the NAACP and he's the first for the Christina School. You know, just so many first as an African-American and as a man. So we have to give him honor and respect for that. And in just the few minutes uh, left that we have uh, for this first part of the, of the show, East Side Pride, I mean, you've given us a rich, rich account of, of so much of your life Tell me in closing, the way things are now, I mean, you see things and you know how you, you've seen the news just like the rest of us. So you know what's going on. You know about uh, George Floyd and the knee in the neck and the massive incarceration. And you know everything that, that's going on today. You, you follow the news. If, if you were mayor or a member of the General Assembly now, or in some position of authority, what is the one thing that you would like to see take place, whether it's in the entire city or at least here on the east side? What, what would you like to see happen if you had a, a position of authority, you could make it happen? Uh, Rochelle, uh, I can answer that by saying emphatically that we need to do more to meet the needs of young people teenagers and, and, and adolescents. Young people in Wilmington are, are neglected, are isolated. We don't have programs for them in the neighborhood centers, which are focused largely on programs for, uh, young, for 
to kindergarten and preschool kids and programs for the elderly. We have very few programs in the neighborhood centers for young people. Uh, they are kicked out of the school in many cases because they get behind and they drop out. So they don't find the, the um, level of support that they should have in the public school systems. They don't find employment in great numbers. Uh, so we, we, we've got to find a way to become reattached to the young people in our city and help them to feel some sense of identity. Um, and to see, to be able to become more knowledgeable of the accomplishments we've made as a race of people and to be motivated by those accomplishments to do more in school, stay in school, and strive to be more productive citizens. So in a word, in a phrase, we've got to do find a way to work more closely with the young people in our city who are now neglected by the larger community and uh, who find that their identity too often comes from being identified with gangs and youth and delinquent activity. Now, how to do that would take more time than we can talk <laughs> about today. Yes. But we've got to find a way to solve that problem and find a way to... Um, work more meaningfully with young people in the city of Wilmington. I think I'll dovetail off of the word that you use, reattach. Reattach ourselves to our youth, to our Wilmington youth. Uh, again, Mayor Jim Sills, thank you for this first of two or maybe three or however many it takes to get this oral history uh, on the record. Thank you, sir, for today's interview. I'm excited to continue our conversation. Uh, our next oral history record uh, recording here at WHGE. You have been listening to Rochelle Wilson, East Side Pride, with the one and the only, the first, uh, former mayor Jim Sills and his oral history of the East Side and his life here in Wilmington. Until next time, we thank you for joining us. Please be prepared for part two. We will be back to finish this conversation, and we're going to leave off right there with reattaching ourselves to our youth. And uh, that's where we'll pick up when we come back, because I want to hear more about uh, Blue Thank House. you very much for having me today. It's been a good experience, and uh, I wish you and this station well as we um, continue to find ways of better communicating with the African-American community. Yes. Well, you know, this this station is the very first Black-owned, Black-operated news journalism advocacy station in the city of Wilmington. So here we have history in history, and I, I just love it, and I'm a part of that. So I'll go down in the history books as well 
for being the one that interviewed history as we sat upon historical ground. Rochelle Wilson for Eastside Pride with former mayor Jim Sills. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Until next Friday, may God bless you and keep you. And remember, we love you, I love you, and God loves you as well. Peace and grace and have a great weekend.